Welcome to Systems Insights, a podcast produced for the University of Southern Queensland's Master of Business Administration. I'm Dr. Daniel Maddock, a digital pedagogy and media specialist and part of the MBA design team. In this podcast series, we talk to leaders from a variety of industries about how organisational systems are designed to maximise the impact of businesses for customers, owners and workers. These interviews were recorded via the internet, so please keep this in mind as you listen to this episode. Nia Yari Giam, Jaganba, Na Gayabu, Yarrawa Peoples, Nia Toowoomba. This podcast is recorded on the traditional lands of the Giyabul and Yarrawa peoples in a place called Toowoomba. Our guest for this episode is Rod Watton. Rod describes himself as a project management professional, but his experience and expertise ranges much further and wider than that. He's initiated many business enterprises, particularly in property development. He's developed and re-engineered business systems and work processes, rationalised production processes in terms of supply chain to marketplace, and developed corporate policies and procedures. Rod also has experience in adult education and training, and has written a book called Project Management Framework, A Structure for All Organisations, which is on its fourth edition. Rod, welcome to the show. Uh, Thank you. It's uh, nice to be here, and I'm pleased to be able to participate. Rod, can you give the audience a bit of a background to your career? I certainly can. So it's actually quite diverse. At the present time, I'm working with local government. Uh, Previous to that, I've worked with um, educational institutions, state government, and um, previously run um, my own small businesses. Today, Rod, we're going to talk about systems insights. Um, We want to understand how systems in businesses are set up so that they run well. One of the things that we're going to discuss in the course is how complex problems are frequently provoke complicated solutions from management. These complex problems can get out of hand, whereas sometimes a simple solution that can be put forward by workforce can often be the best. Do you think that perhaps traditional management approaches can overcomplicate things? I certainly think so in contemporary organisations. So it's important to remember that when we look at management structure, it's been very much the same for many decades now. You know, there's been different models identified and discussed within uh, academia that's sort of supposed to come out and be implemented within different organisations. And some organisations do that and do that quite successfully and other organisations, it's not so much the same. You know, when we look at the changes of of what's happening with uh, technology, uh, a lot of uh, changes within organisations not keeping to the same pace. So, you know, that means some of the decisions that we need to make, some of the policies that we need to have in place need to be able to sort of move almost as quickly as what technology is developing and being rolled out in the in the workplace. So there's there's definitely room for and probably time for change in relation to our um, historic management structures. Do you think then that there's not enough decision-making power given to the right people in organisations in terms of how they're currently structured? That's a bit of a difficult question because, you know, in some organisations such as um, governments, you know, there is uh, definitely roles and responsibilities and delegations given out that really stem from uh, legislation and guidelines that are put in place. So it's difficult to then, you know, override those processes to sort of say that we're we're then going to ignore that because that means somebody's going to be accountable for somebody else's decisions. However, you know, as we're moving 
Ford, that too sort of needs to be looked at. But with private industry, they have a little bit more flexibility in relation um, to doing that. I think we're moving into a, a period of time now that the number of people that are undertaking tertiary education and um, gaining a much deeper level of knowledge and understanding of, um, you know, the topics of, of which they, uh, they're studying and the desire to be able to roll those out within the workforce is speeding up. You know, so the general process was you did your university qualification, so to speak, got into the workforce, started out in a lower level position, and it may have taken you, you know, as much as two decades to sort of move into a sort of more senior position where you had the ability to start influencing some of the things that you learnt within your studies. And it, that needs to move through more swiftly. But in addition to that, the people that are sort of the younger generations, you know, coming through now have an expectation that they can do that more quickly. So when they're learning, they're actually wanting to roll out into workplaces that allow them to apply that learning and, and be able to modify the workplace, the systems that are in place uh, within the workplace. And some of that, a lot of that really, um, requires us to be able to make those decisions to influence and, and change um, that work, workplace culture, workplace um, policies and procedures. I want to talk now about problem solving in terms of how those systems are managed and the diagnosis of problems as well. What are some of your experiences about collaborative problem solving? Well, you know, my, my background is very much project management and I, I actually work with um, a very strong, knowledgeable group of, um, of project managers. And, and one of the things that we've observed that we sort of have naturally fallen into is like a community of practice that talks about problem solving before problems exist. So, you know, there's a lot of this uh, pre-planning um, and contingency planning that's um, happening in the early part of our projects now in preparation for having to deal with different changes that may come up other elements that, you know, project managers have dealt with with their projects that I may not yet have come across and vice versa. We're sharing that knowledge uh, very early in the piece and, and that's been quite effective. In saying that, you, we still do come across uh, problems and we still need um, to deal with those in an effective manner. And I suppose it's really about trying to understand what the problem is. So, you know, the, the, the old cause and effect is is pretty um, important. So a lot of people are actually looking at the effect and trying to provide solutions to what the effect is, really still leaving the cause in place, which um, is not helping in any way, you know, really long-term fix uh, the actual problem that we have in place, whereas slowing down, taking the time to actually look at the, the problem properly and do some proper analysis is a very important element of it. In saying that, um, you know, again, referring back to that local government space, we, we sort of think dealing with um, the, the political environment within the workplace and then, you know, within local government, we have two streams of political environment. So you have the, um, the political environment that is, you know, like the councillors at a sitting place making the strategic directions for the organisation, but then you still have an element of the office politics that exists, you know, within the, the running of the council. So. You know, those two elements um, themselves will will influence some of the things that you're working on and how you're delivering those uh, particular projects. And from that perspective, despite the fact that you may have 
the desired solution that you want him to implement doesn't mean you're going to be able to implement it in that sense. So there's um, this whole other element of work then that needs to go into, you know, influencing people the right way to be able to implement and make the right decisions. On influencing people, do you think that leadership is really about that? about influencing people and driving them in the right direction, people who already, you know, we assume have the skills, have the knowledge that's needed to do these jobs. And if that's the case, you know, what I guess the crux of the question is what is the role of a a leader within that business system? Can the business exist without a leader? Well, to answer the last part of your question first, the simple answer is no. <laughs> no organisation <laughs> can exist without a leader. I think it's important to, to sort of have a good, clear definition, understanding of the difference between leader and leadership. And, and management is one where positional power gives people the ability to um, control resources and make decisions. And they don't always have to go down the path of making sure that the decision that they make is popular, so to speak. So from that perspective, they have a different level of influence um, over people within the organisation, where on the other hand, I think leadership is is one that you need to rely on your ability to be able to influence people and have them voluntarily follow the direction that you want them to take. So from that perspective, a lot of people within organisations may look at managers and um, directors and the CEO and say, you know, they are the leader of the organisation. And from my perspective, it is their responsibility to demonstrate leadership, definitely. But they're using the advantage of having managerial power, so positional power, to influence the organisation in the way that they want it to go. Whereas when you look at a a lot of um, other people in different positions within that organisational structure, they don't have that advantage, but they still have goals and objectives to be able to achieve work performance that they need to influence that decision making. So the, the call to have strong leadership skills, from my understanding, is much more important for those people that are trying to manage up and get those decisions made by other people in the manner that they want them or need them made to be able to effectively carry out their job. In the MBA, we're taking the idea of a system beyond something like IT and thinking about the system in terms of the business as a configuration of things such as resources, but also people. So in your experience, how those things are configured, how the people and the resources are are configured, does that have a large effect on how the business runs? Well, very much so. I think part of um, part of the problem with some of those businesses is the clash of systems. Uh, very much in in a, a standard organisation, you'll have you know the the functional uh, structure, which means you know we'll have a a procurement department, we'll have a HR department, we'll have a communication department um, so on and so forth and and then within each of those departments they're operating their own system but those systems at some point in time will interact with other systems so for argument's sake if we're looking at human resources so they're going to be providing support in relation to the procurement department or 
um, the communication department in um, being able to engage new people or manage the people that they already have on board. A lot of the systems that are set up within the organisations, within that functional structure then, is for the ease of that team and and, um, how that team works together and can be very effective from their perspective. However, when you start to introduce that system into somebody else's system, it doesn't always apply and work in the same manner. So it's about, you know, how we get systems to talk to one another effectively. Uh, I suppose from a technology perspective, if you look at um, Microsoft and, and Apple, you've got two very strong and very popular systems that have been in the marketplace for a very long period of time. You have, you know, those group of people who are Microsoft supporters, you have those people who are Apple supporters, but the simple fact is for the majority of us who are sort of interacting with those two systems, it'd be a lot easier if those two systems would interact. That's a really good way to put it if we liken the idea of um, systems in business to the interaction between Apple and Microsoft, uh, always a pain for those of us who have to go between. On the idea of systems and processes and getting them right, uh, we, we just talked about how they work for a business, but how do they work for a leader? If you have, especially if you're coming into an organization as a new leader, if you have systems in place that you have to work with, are they going to affect the leader and, and support the leader? Or, you know, on the, on the flip side, can those systems also detract from good leadership? That's a really interesting question and somewhat feels loaded, to be honest with you. <laughs> Look, I can see both sides of the argument in, in relation to that question and how it works. So um, first of all, you know, we can go back to your um, or one of your original questions where we were talking about individuals and how, you know, management sort of can overcomplicate processes that um, if we left it to the workforce seem to be able to simplify it in a manner that makes it work quite effectively, even though it might be only quite effectively for that particular team. So I think from a new leader's perspective, whenever you go into a new organisation, leaders that go in with an expectation of trying to be able to climb the corporate ladder have a different agenda from those people who have a tendency to go in and sort of want to, I suppose, enhance their role and the organisation and uh, and help it, you know, grow and move forward. So we sort of have to be careful about who we're employing as well. So, you know, if if we're going to employ a a new leader, I'd I'd actually prefer to say new managerial position because I think that's that's probably more appropriate. So if we're employing somebody, you know, within um, that new management structure um, and they have a desire you know, to push their career forward. For them, it's very important to be able to get some runs on the board, some achievements for them on a personal perspective um, so that they can take that next step to where they want to go within their career. Whereas if you've got somebody coming in that's generally trying to sort of enhance and and, um, modify the organisation so that it works in a more conducive and efficient manner, that person may take the time then to actually look at what's been happening within the organisation to the point that we've got it to and then interact and collaborate with other people to make only the necessary changes that are needed to, you know, enhance the system. 
yeah, like I said, it, it's a loaded question, and you know, there's all those additional parameters that you that you have around it. And when somebody makes that move into you know a new managerial position, you really need to think about what you're there for, what you're hoping to achieve out of it, and how it's going to impact those other people. Rod, we talked about it a bit before in terms of the connection of systems between different departments within an organisation, but what about outside of an organisation? Businesses and their customers are also part of a system, just as businesses and supply chain networks can, can be joined together too. Businesses and their customers can have a mutual concern for solving problems um, or a passion for the product or, or other things that the businesses are involved in. Do you find that businesses you've worked with see it like that, see the customer as part of the network as well, part of the system? For the ones that I, that I work with, uh, definitely so. It, it's in, an important part of the organisation to, you know, recognise whether that be from a local government perspective, so being the constituents or, or ratepayers, residents or the community, um, or, you know, whether it be, you know, from an educational perspective and that being the students as part of the learning process. But more importantly, I know students may not like to hear this, but more importantly, it's really about um, the profession and also the organisations that are going to employ these students when they, once they have graduated. So if you're going to disengage from those external systems and try and run, you know, your own ship from internally only, you might find that um, although internally you've got it organised exceptionally well, but once that's sort of been implemented and starts to play out, the connection with your uh, external system, say your customer base, is going to actually start to to drop off, and that's going to then ultimately impact your business. So it is something that needs to be carefully considered, and it's also one of the reasons why you need to engage your external systems to ensure that your internal systems are working effectively. Is that something that occurs in a different way in public sectors and private sectors, which you've had experience in? Yeah, I think from a private sector perspective. Um, a lot of it's uh, sort of market research in relation to, you know, driving those um, business decisions because a lot of, not all, but a lot, you know, the private sector is is very much uh, focused around that customer base, base sorry. Yet when you're looking at the, the public sector, it, um, it can be very different, you know, because um, from a, an educational perspective, you've got to have a, a product that's desirable to the end user and the end user is ultimately the profession itself and, and the organisations that are going to be employing the students. So um, I, I do understand it from a student's perspective that when they're sort of going through, you know, undertaking the study, you might be studying um, some of the units that don't really make an awful lot of sense to you. But when you go out to industry and you're talking from an industry perspective and you're taking it from a collaborative industry perspective rather than just one or two organisations, um, their desire and their interest in relation you know, to that makeup of, of the particular course that you're developing can be very different to what a student may expect. Rod, 
networks are a connection of people, but they can also be a connection of resources too. And no doubt you know this all too well from your time in local government as well as in um, private sectors. What influence do you think networks have both for the business and for the leaders inside and outside of a business with respect to resources? Look, this it's, this can be very different um, based on a number of different things. Again, whether it's private or, or, or the public sector. So very much within the private sector, you know, and very much aware of um, uh, organisations, you know, through joint ventures and alike working together to um, achieve much larger outcomes than what they could have done in their own right. So that um, is a real, you know, real positive and it allows the conglomerate, I suppose, for the want of a better word, to be able to tackle much larger projects and be competitive in the space through working together, which is um, extremely effective um, and beneficial. From a local government perspective, you know, that can be uh, a little bit different. Um, so I do know that, you know, some smaller local governments try and, and work together. Uh, some of the larger uh, local governments and that they will, you know, share ideas and um, and resources from, from that perspective, which can be helpful. But they're sort of still bound by, again, that regulatory process, which means, you know, that is very restrictive to some of the, the things that you could otherwise partner on for those local governments. There is legislation in place that say, you know, that they can they can form part partnerships and be able to do that. But, um, you know, if you're doing that on a long-term basis, it's worth investing the energy to be able to do that. But on some of the smaller projects um, that they may be working on, it's, it's not always so easy, you know. So um, some rework in, in that space may be, may be beneficial. And I suppose... You know, from a, a state government perspective, working working with state government, I've, I've never really been in a position where um, I've worked with another state government. So I really can't comment from, from that perspective. Rod, I want to finish on your experience of learning, particularly organisational learning. Do businesses spend enough time learning from their mistakes? And perhaps, you know, again, in your experience, do they even know how to learn from their mistakes as an organisation? Yeah, look, that's a really good question. And I think it's a bit of a double-edged sword, okay? And from that, I mean, if you think about the concept of making a mistake, okay, as an employee, making a mistake within an organisation generally refers to the fact that you've done something wrong or you haven't done your job properly. So, you know, going back from a HR perspective, you know, is that a performance issue? If it's a performance issue and it's going to have negative consequences, then, you know, who in their right mind is going to come along and go, I made this mistake and put their hand up. I do understand there's some negative connotations to enhancing that learning opportunity and we have to again find some way to be able to balance this whole thing about the opportunity to learn and the actual learning of that you know so I think there's a desire for organizations to learn I think they've um, recognized particularly with the onset of what I refer to as contemporary project management so if we look at um, the methodologies of Prince 2 and Pimbok, you know they they're um, Initial offering didn't come out until 1996, so that's, you know, like um, 25 years ago. It's not really a long time um, for a particular profession, so it's really still in its 
its infancy. And with those um, methodologies, the whole idea of um, continuous improvement and, you know, forming communities of practice and being able to learn from our mistakes and learn from one another means the organisations are, are onboarding with those processes. They want to do it. But again, if you're not going to go back and fix the other system, which is the one about if you fess up to making a mistake and, and how big a mistake that was and how damaging it can be to your career, then you're not going to get that level of honesty that's required to be able to truly learn. That's a really great way to end the podcast, Rod Watton. Thanks for coming on the show. You're most welcome. Thanks for the invite. Did appreciate it. Information about our guests can always be found in the podcast show notes in your podcast app or on the course site. This has been a University of Southern Queensland podcast.